Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Last Sunday, Michael started a series that we're doing. We kind of call it the core four. It really has everything to do with our our vision statement and our mission statement. And uh, in fact, you know, let, let me read our vision statement once again. We'll keep doing this the next three times as well, the next, the following two times. Our vision statement, Springs Church exists to ignite a passion for Christ. Okay, let me pause for a minute. You know, if you've been here for a while, you know that. We don't want to just know about Christ. We just don't want to know about him historically or anyway. We want to have a passion for him, a deep, true, passionate relationship with Christ. And we just want to continue to ignite that. So Springs Church exists to ignite a passion for Christ and to equip believers for his mission in Colorado Springs and the world. Now, let me read our mission statement now. At Springs Church, we desire to be an authentic community of worshipers who are passionate about understanding scripture, practicing prayer, experiencing community, and developing calling, our core four. And as Michael told you last time, the elders, it took us years to write this. And again, you may be thinking, you're kidding me, years to write that? And the reason it did was we very much wanted to know who is God calling us to be? Who has God already called us to be? So we're trying to hear him on this and we're trying to observe, right, the church, all of you, because God has brought you here as he's brought me here. And we're looking at that going, all right, what are you saying through that? And that's why we came up with this because we see this to be so true. We are serious about understanding scripture and living from his word. We are serious about practicing prayer. And if you were in the three days of prayer that we just had and fasting, that was just glorious. What a great time of being together, hearing God, seeing God, seeing each other, experiencing each other. We're also very serious about experiencing community, which we did during the three days of fasting and prayer. And we do in our our, um, community groups and everything else. We're very serious about this, but also developing our calling that we would walk out what God has put in us. Again, our core four. And we want to be serious when Paul said that we are to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church and the body of Christ. And for God to do that with the entire body of Christ, it takes a collaboration. It takes a lot of people to do that. So I've been thinking about collaboration for a while. And I started thinking what could I talk about in terms of collaboration that we have all experienced? And then I remember hearing a man say a couple of years ago, he said, probably one of the greatest collaborations that we get to see and experience personally is the collaboration that goes on in a movie, an epic classic movie. And in a movie, we've all seen a movie before, there is this collaboration between writers, directors, cinematographers, producers, um, actors, stuntmen, set designers, costume designers, extras, location scouts, 
uh, music composers, sound and light technicians, special effects engineers, uh, production designers, editors. It really is amazing what it takes to produce a movie. So as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, what would be a good example of that? What movie comes to my mind? That is also a good story, because there's a lot of movies out there, but they're not necessarily good stories. They're not necessarily great collaborations. But what came to mind was this movie titled Ben-Hur. It was done in 1959. Um, and if you haven't seen it, you have to see it. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, because then I want to describe what it took, the collaboration, to pull this movie off. So Ben-Hur is a story about Judah Ben-Hur, at this point in the movie, the beginning, he's a, he's a young um, Jewish um, merchant, and he's living in Judea during the time of Christ. And in the very beginning, you see, he meets up with a, a, a boyhood friend of his. His name was Masala. And they haven't been together for a long time, but they shared life as boys, doing things, adventuring, having fun. But they get back together after years of being apart, and Masala has become a Roman tribune over these years. And so after they're done sharing their, their reminiscing of their, their life together, Masala says to Judah, I want you to help me round up the, the Jewish resistance against Rome. We need to round them up, we need to take care of them. And Judah says, I will not help you do that. That's wrong, I'm not gonna be part of this. What has happened to you to do, to do something like that? Well, Masala gets so upset that he sends Judah's uh, sister and mother to prison, and he sentences Judah to the death of a life of a slave in a uh, Roman warship in the galley with the other rowers, because you don't live long in that job. So he sends him off. Judah survives being in the galley of these warships, and he comes back and he dedicates his life to exact revenge on Masala because of what he's done. That's, that's, that's his life, everything is, I've got to get revenge, I've got to make him suffer, and he's going to die. And then at the, toward the end of the movie, um, Judas' life changes because he encounters Jesus on the way to the cross. Changes his life. It's a powerful movie, you need to see this. But let me, let me tell you about the collaboration it took to make this movie because it's really phenomenal. It was done from a novel done in 1880, it was a 550-page uh, novel. And the writers had to figure out, the screenplay writers, how do we get this down into a movie from 558 pages? It took a number of writers. It took 12 screenplays until they finally had one. So there was a lot of writing going on, a lot of talent trying to work on this thing. They had various directors to create their overall look of the overall film. It took them five years of research just to figure out what should everything look like to be authentic. Five years of research just to do that. They had more than 15,000 drawings of costumes and props and sets, you know, to be able to start designing these things. They had 200 artists and workmen who produced all of these sets. They had more than a million props manufactured for this movie. Now, again, remember, this is 1959. I was only four years old at the time. Right? I didn't see the movie then when it came out, but I did later, and I've seen it several times. But this is truly amazing. There were more um, costume designers oversaw a staff of 100 wardrobe um, manufacturers. There's 100 people out there sewing costumes for all these people. 
There were 200 camels and 2,500 horses that were used in the filming. 10,000 extras in this thing. 300 sets scattered over 148 acres. Are right, you starting to see the scale of this right now? Um, there were nine sound stages. Filming took nine months at 12 to 14 hours a day, six days a week. And three of the nine months were used just for the, the chariot race scene toward the end of the movie. Planning for that chariot race took over a year just to plan it out. How are we gonna do this? What do we need? How do we train people? What kind of horses? All of that kind of thing. They had 78 horses imported just for the race from Yugoslavia and Sicily. And then there was all the training of those and the taking care of those animals at the same time. So you understand this was a huge production, right? On a grand scale. And all the people that took of certain skills and trainings and ability to pull off a three hour movie. All right, now let me give you a biblical example of a grand collaboration. And this is the, the building of the tabernacle. All right, this is way before I was born, okay? I may be the elderly elder, but I'm not that old. So the tabernacle, as you know, a tabernacle means a dwelling place. So God said to Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle, a place where I will dwell with the people. And it had very specific instructions about what it was to look like, how it was to be built. And I wanna give you a feel for the tabernacle, okay? Because this is a big deal. And then we'll get into the collaboration of it. So this is Exodus 35, we'll read this together. Let every skillful man among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle and its tent and its covering, its hooks and its boards, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, the ark and its poles, the mercy seat and the curtain of the screen and the table and its poles and all the utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light and its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense and its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the doorway at the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offerings with its bronze grating, its poles and its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars, its sockets, and the screen for the gates of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the woven garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. Do you see the grand scale of this? The very specifics that God was giving for this? I mean, this was amazing and had to be done precisely. All right, but here's the point of this. I want you to see the collaboration that had to take place, okay? So this is the collaboration of God's people in what God was doing, in his plans, in his story, and what he was up to. So Exodus 35, then Moses said to the sons of Israel, see the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. And he filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all craftsmanship, to make designs for working in gold and in silver and in bronze and in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood 
so as to perform every inventive work. And then in Exodus 36 too, then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab and all the skilled people to whom the Lord had given ability, including everyone whose heart stirred them to come forward to do the work. Now here's what I want you to realize as we talk about a great collaboration. All right, going back, God filled his people with his spirit, giving them wisdom, understanding, knowledge, ability, and craftsmanship for his purposes. And he stirred their heart for the work. This is Old Testament, and it does not change to the New Testament and to today. This is how God does things, right? He's given you skills, abilities, understanding, knowledge, craftsmanship, and he's stirring your heart for the work that he wants you to be part of in this great collaboration. See, it's, it's so important for us to understand this. And it was God's great collaboration that brought you into the kingdom. Have you stopped to think about that? I have rarely thought about that. Because I just think, I know when I came to Christ, I know what happened, I know the circumstances, but I don't think, what did it take to soften my heart, to open my eyes, to understand who Christ is, where I gave my life to him and I trusted in his death for me and his life in me and for me. You realize that? All the people he had in place and the words that they spoke and the prayers that they prayed and the circumstances around your life, oh, your salvation was a great collaboration of the kingdom of God. And now in the great collaboration that you have experienced, now there is the great invitation the great invitation for you and I to be part of this great collaboration that is going on. You have been invited by Jesus personally, personally. It wasn't, it wasn't just a throw out invitation, it was to you, to your heart. John 15, 16, you're familiar with these verses, but maybe we'll look at it in a different light. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I know you, I died for you, I chose you. That you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. See, there's salvation, there's coming into the kingdom, the collaboration that's about that, and then there's be part of my collaboration and the fruit that you will bring, the advancing in the kingdom. Martin Luther said, it is faith alone that saves but faith that saves is not alone. There is the fruit of your salvation that comes out of you. It's for, true for every one of us, right? We're to have this fruitful life, it's part of us. And John 17, 18, as you have sent me into the world, Jesus is praying to the Father, I have sent them into the world for I have sanctified myself for them that they too may be truly sanctified, right? Jesus came into this world with great purpose, Great purpose. And he's saying, I'm sending it, them in the same way with great purpose, great effect. And I love that he says, I've sanctified myself that they would also be sanctified. So you know, sanctified means to be set apart. So he's saying, I have been set apart for holy purposes. And by setting apart my life, I'm setting apart yours for holy purposes. This is so incredibly important to remember. And we go, yeah, 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 I've been sanctified. I've been, no, but you have to understand you have been set apart. And the reason I want to emphasize this is because so many times we can feel, I've not been set apart, I've been set aside. So many people feel like, oh, I, I just, I don't have a part of this. God doesn't speak to me about this. But you have been 
set apart for holy purposes, not set aside. The enemy would say the other. <clears throat> I love how Dwight L. Moody said, the good news is God never made a promise that was so, too good to be true. This sounds too good to be true. It absolutely is too good to be true. It is true for you. We have been set apart for holy purposes. The great collaboration and the great invitation is about the great manifestation. The great manifestation. You see, your calling is for Jesus to manifest himself through you in a very particular way. He wants to touch people's lives through you. He wants to um, express himself and show himself to others through you. That's what your calling is. It is the great manifestation that this is really all about. But when we talk about calling, we often think about anointing. And we think about anointing, and you know anointing is simply the presence and power of God, right? If you are a believer, you have the anointing of God. You have his presence and power in your life. But we think about anointing, and when we think about anointing, we often think about ministries such as preaching, teaching, speaking, evangelism, the sign gifts, we think of those things. But God's calling is as broad and as large and as grand as a story that he is telling and that we are living in. See, there are so many parts to the kingdom and so many players in the kingdom of God and what he is doing. Again, it's that the, the thought, what we read in the Old Testament, right, where he gave them skill in craftsmanship and in every inventive work. He's done that for you. He has given you skill, particular understanding, particular knowledge, particular craftsmanship for a reason, for his kingdom. I love this quote by Dallas Willard. He said, we are to live life as, co as a co-worker with God in the creative enterprise of life on earth. To exhibit the striking availability of God to meet present human needs through our actions. We are to be the good news about the kingdom. See, that's what, we're, that's what we're now in this collaboration to be and to do. And walking out our calling, being part of this, it's wide and it's vast. See, the body of Christ is to touch everything with the restoring touch of God, right? We are to touch everything with the touch of God in our life. God has touched your life. If you're a believer, he has touched your life and he's put his fingerprints all over you. His fingerprints are all over you. And now he has created a very unique fingerprint that you now have that he wants you to place on everything you touch in your world. So let me give you an example. I have a, I have a phone, I have an iPad, and I have a laptop that will only open to me, and it will only open and engage to me with my fingerprint. You can try to make it open up, it won't do it. You can put your finger on the finger pad and it won't open. It'll only open to my fingerprint because my fingerprint is unique. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because you have a very unique fingerprint. And certain things, certain people, certain situations will only open to your fingerprint. I've been in situations, you know, where we're maybe praying for somebody, we're talking to somebody and you can see the hurt or the confusion. And, and I want to help them. And so I try, but I can't open them up. I can't engage them.
but someone else with me, they'll just say a word and that person is opened and engaged. And yeah, I can get jealous going, wait a minute, I was trying, I, I tried to help them, but now I just to the point where I go, I love that. My fingerprint didn't work, but theirs, they put on the fingerprint pad and that person just opened up. Their heart opened up. They were opened up to God all of a sudden through that person. You see, you have a unique fingerprint and there are certain people in certain situations and certain things that only you can open and allow the Holy Spirit and the, the work of God to work through you. You are needed. You have a place. You have a unique fingerprint. You can't let that go unnoticed and unused. So Romans, you're familiar with this. Romans 12, verses four and five. For as in one body, we have many members. Okay, let me pause this for a minute. An adult, an average adult human body has 206 bones, 650 muscles, and 78 organs. That's a lot in a human body, right? So now you can see that we, we have a body, but we have many members, right? And if one of these things that I've mentioned is missing or is not functioning properly, the body will eventually suffer. You know that. We've all experienced that, and it's true for us. It's your place in the body. It's not exempt from being needed. You are needed. You are absolutely needed. So for as one body, as one body has many members, and we see the large scale of this, and the members do not have all the same functions, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other, right? You are needed, you are needed. First Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, special fingerprint, if you will, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God, large-scale collaboration going on here. So the question is, how do we recognize our unique fingerprint, function, contribution, craftsmanship in God's great collaboration? How do we recognize that? Well, let me give you two verses that I brought to you other times before when I've been up here. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is producing you both the desire and the ability to do what pleases him. Now, many translations use the word, instead of desire, they use the words will, but it comes from the same word. God gives us the will to do what we were created to do. But see, the deeper meaning is desire. See, the really amazing part is God as a father says, I've created you to have a part in the kingdom of God and what I'm doing. And as a loving, loving father, I'm going to put in you the desire to do what I've made you to do. I want you to want to do it. I want you to great, find great joy and fulfillment when you're doing it because it's who you are. So it's more than your will. It goes deeper. It's the desire to do what he wants you to do. So he gives us the desire to do and the ability. And then 2 Thessalonians 1.11, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. See, God has given you a certain desire and faith for a certain kind of goodness. There's something you deeply care about. You can't turn your back on it. You can't turn a blind eye to it. You know, it's because it's in you. It's what God has put in you. So does this not all sound like this Old Testament passage we read where God filled them with his spirit, giving them wisdom, understanding, knowledge, ability, and craftsmanship? 
to fulfill his purpose, and he stirred their hearts for the work. Your heart is stirred for a certain type of work. It's the same thing because we have the same God. God has embedded your calling on your heart, written it, embedded it, sketched it in, however you want to look at this. He's written it on your heart. Why? Why your heart? Because that's where he dwells. That's the tabernacle now, right? That's his dwelling place now because of the work of Christ, his death for us and his resurrection. And he has written it on your heart. So let me give you another example. Let's just say, let's say someone came to you and said, I'd like to ask you to help me build a home. And, and we have many builders here, many craftsmen. And you know, it is a big collaboration to build a home. And he says, I want you to collaborate with me, be all, with all these people, and I want you to help me build this home. And you say, okay, I'll do it. And then after a couple of weeks, you come to the builder and you say, well, what do you want me to do? You, you're not telling me what you want me to do and, and when you want me to do it. And the builder looks at you and he says, well, look in your hands. And you look at your hand and you have a paintbrush in one hand and you have a can, can of paint in the other hand, which you hadn't noticed and you had forgotten. And the builder says, I gave these to you because this is what I want you to do. This is your role, this is your place. Now I'll need to tell you when I need you to paint and what color, but this is what I want you to do. And so many times we go to God and say, I, I have no idea what you want me to do. You're not speaking to me, he says, look in your hands, look in your heart, what's there? What are you burdened by? What do you love? What do you think about? What is that you must do? What is this certain goodness that you, everything in you wants to see happen? He's already spoken to us. He's been writing it on your heart. It's already there, but so many times we, we don't go there where he dwells. We need to know what God has given us if we're going to know the part we play in this great collaboration of restoration in our life. You see, but the problem is calling clarity does not come to the casual inquirer. It doesn't come to the person every once in a while would go, I don't know, God, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. That's a start. It's only a start. It's not enough. We have to look. We have to discern what it is that God has, has done. You see, the great collaboration, which comes with the great invitation, which is about the great manifestation of Christ in you, has to come with a great determination. A great determination. Because again, it takes time to discern what God has placed in your heart and to read it and understand it. It takes time to hear God's voice. It takes time to watch his movement and understand it. It takes time to understand his training of us in this great collaboration. And there's another factor why it takes dedication. Because there is warfare. There is warfare. There is much set against your walking out your place in the great collaboration. This desire for goodness that you have particular faith for, right? The enemy is right there trying to take it down. He's trying to get rid of it. He's, try, he's at least trying to silence it in your life. So what he does, as you know, in spiritual warfare, one of his most powerful uh, weapons <clears throat> is he creates IEDs, improvised explosive devices. Really what we know these as being lies. He gets these little lies that someone has spoken to us at some point in our life, when we were young, all the way to our age now. Maybe it was spoken unaware by somebody, 
but nonetheless, it, it, it lodged and it was buried into our heart. And he places those things there and they go off just at the right time, just to take us out. And some of these IEDs and spiritual warfare, these lies that so many of us deal with that can take us out. And let me share a few of them because I've been talking to people for years and years and years about calling and asking about their story and seeing what's in the way. So lies like this, I don't have a calling. I've lost my calling. My calling doesn't matter. In fact, I don't matter. God doesn't speak to me. I don't hear God. God won't give me clarity. It's just way too hard. I don't have the stamina or the strength for this. I'm too afraid to walk into it and I feel unprotected. I can't walk in my calling because I'm not in full-time ministry. The door never opens to me, even though I try to ask, seek, and knock. See, that's spiritual warfare, and it's going to take a great determination to say, I will not let that lodge in my heart. I will disarm that. I will not live by it because they're powerful. And I may have just spoken a few phrases, but they are very powerful, and you can't give them room in your heart. I can't give them room in my heart. They have to be dislodged as something God is up to. These lies have the purpose of making us hide from our calling. But the fact is, you can hide from your calling, but you can't silence it. See, that's the thing. You can't silence your calling. You can't silence the voice of God in you and your heart speaking out to what is written there. So um, let me take you back to a movie for a minute. So two weeks ago, I was at a men's retreat. And I was speaking on calling, and I was going to have one of the guys of the ministry team respond to my talk. And so we got together, you know, the day before, and, and we're trying to determine what story would he tell that would fit partly what I'm talking about. And so I just simply said to him, I said, well, listen, why don't you tell me some of your story? Tell me some of your story of, of calling, what's been hard, what's been easy, what do you know now, what did you not understand before? And as he told me the story, he told me a story that he had uh, started, he planted a church several years ago and it was hard work and he developed a team of people to help him plant it and eventually he got going and he had, a, he had a good number of people and then COVID hit. Shut down the church, shut down the facility he was in and then when things started to open up and he invited people back, no one came back. The church was gone and he told me through tears, he said, this, is, this was my dream. And I worked so hard to make this happen. And it, it was just gone. And I feel foolish ever thinking that I was supposed to do this. Because either I'm foolish or God is foolish. It just, it just feels so wrong. And it was just so devastating. And I said, okay, but now you're in this ministry. This is a different ministry. You're a part of the ministry team. Tell me how that happened. And he said, well, in the midst of just the despair of my life, Someone hearing my story said, your, your calling, your life is not over. In fact, there's a ministry over here who could use who you are, and that was the pathway into him coming into this ministry. And I said, so, so what is it that allowed you to partake of this other ministry, actually to come walk back into your calling once again? And his eyes started getting bright, and I said, okay, so what's going on? Why do you seem so excited right now? And he said, I just finished watching a movie. And he said, actually, it's a TV streaming movie, and it's called Obi-Wan Kenobi. 
And so, so anyway, so he, I said, well, I, you know, I haven't seen this, but tell me about it. And he goes, well, in this particular streaming movie, um, and it's somewhere between two of the Star Wars movies, you know, where they did this. And he said, the Jedis have just ex experienced a, a huge defeat. You know, Jedis are the, the, the people of the light, right? The, the kingdom of light. And so he said, they just experienced a huge defeat. There's only a few of them left. And so they went into hiding because they just thought it is over. And they went into hiding. The dark side, though they were victorious at this moment, they thought, them being in hiding is not enough. We need to destroy the remnant. We need to destroy the remaining Jedis out there. And so the Grand Inquisitor hired bounty hunters to find these Jedis and kill them. Well, month after month, the, Jedi, the bounty hunters could not find the Jedis. And they came back to the Grand Inquisitor and said, we, we have no idea how to find these people. And the Grand Inquisitor said, the key to hunting Jedi is patience. Jedi cannot help what they are. Their compassion leaves a trail. And he said, I realized when I was watching this, I can't help who I am. When I walked away from the, the church that collapsed on me, I thought, I'm done, it can't be true. And he said, but I realized I can't walk away from the particular life of God in me. What I want to say to you is you can't walk away from your calling. You can try to silence it, but it's still there because it's the life of Jesus in you. And he refuses to be held back. He, it will leak out. And for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, you will see the leaking in a person's life. You go, oh, no, no, I see this. This is the life of God in you. It keeps coming out here and here and here. As much as you try to stop it, it can't help it because it's another life in you that's joined with your life. So my question is, what can't you help? What keeps leaking in you? <laughs> what is it that you think, I just don't want to be involved in stuff. Every time I do, something goes wrong. But when you see something happen, when you experience something in your life, you can't help, you start leaning forward. You can't help it, right? It's, you're leaking, it's pulling, it's pushing out in you. Your calling is who you are. It's Jesus's life in you coming out uniquely. It is the effect that your presence has been designed to have on other people. And it must. You have been redeemed for God's great collaboration of, of restoration. Augustine said, without God, we cannot. Without us, he will not. Whereas Oswald Chambers said it, we are in danger of forgetting that we cannot do what God does and that God will not do what we can do. I mean, isn't that a common error? I mean, I commit it. I am all the time trying to do in a person's life or in a situation what only God can do and nothing happens. And I'm neglecting what God has given me to do in that situation or for that person, right? There's something you have to do. There's something that God has equipped you with that he wants you to do and we have to walk in that. Now I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up as we kind of bring this down and there's a classic Mother Goose rhyme that conveys the significance, the, the consequence, the, the uh, irreplaceability of your life and my life. And I want to read this to you. It's called, for, for Want of a Horseshoe Nail. For want of a nail, the shoe is lost. For want of a shoe, 
the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. In God's work, in God's plans and his purposes, there is no insignificant person. There is no insignificant gifting. There's no insignificant heart or contribution, right? For want of a horseshoe nail, the kingdom was lost, right? You are needed. You are needed. There is a great collaboration and everybody's in it. Everybody is in it. You're needed. Your fingerprint, your paintbrush and your paint, and the particular color that you paint things with in people's lives and in this world, and you are needed now. You see, it's the great urgency, it's the fierce urgency of now, as uh, Martin Luther King Jr. expressed it, the fierce urgency of now. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadow, shadows deepening? But don't you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Don't you know that? And don't you wish you could see all things made new? Jesus has invited you to collaborate with him in his great work of restoration. And my question to you is, is he worthy of you giving your life to him every day, all the time, more fully? And is he worthy of you walking out your calling? He is. He is. Would you stand with me as we sing this? As we are saying back to Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy of all of this. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.